he promised me a surfboard. I, I had no idea how much it costed in the first place, to, to be honest. I ended up graduating with the scores that I was supposed to have. I, he gave me the money I bu uh, to buy it, so with that small amount of money, I think it was 60 bucks or 50 bu bucks, something like that. So really not much to invest in a, in a proper starting surfboard. Not a, not a big soft top, nothing. It was a yeah. small one, broken with a lot of holes in it, but it had nice color. It, it attracted me because it had nice colors. It was yellow and orange. For me, the country of Morocco has always been one of those exotic lands full of remote, perfect surf and rich, vibrant culture that's kept me captivated for years. Today, Jurisma Mehdi, born and raised in this beautiful land, takes us through his progression of surfing from his early days of being part of the development of surf culture in Morocco to today where he runs a professional development program based around surfing in his home waters. Driss takes us deep into the state of flow surfing provides, relating this throughout his own journey in life and sharing how he uses the flow state in sports psychology and leadership training through his global program, Mind Surf Experiences. Thank you for being here, and I hope this conversation with Driss on his ocean life inspires you to add a little bit more flow into your day as well. Enjoy. Podcast. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. I'm so excited to share here, to be with you here today and to share um, my story and what I'm up to and uh, all the good things about surfing in the ocean. Yeah, nice. Um, that's some of my most favorite topics. Anything ocean-related, of course, but also surfing. You know, it's one of the things where throughout my life, doing a lot of different things in the ocean, surfing has always been kind of the primary, you know. I think it sounds like the same thing for you as well. Absolutely. Surfing has been a big part of my life uh, and a big influence and um, started, started quite... Uh, late i would say compared to many people but we'll get into that i guess at some point and explain and share when did it start yeah. how did it start yeah absolutely absolutely and one of the neat things that attracted me to you and looking at like you know your story um you're able to you have this really interesting lifestyle where you've been able to blend elements of surfing your core passion with your profession which is you know professional coaching and there's a lot of really neat things about that that we'll get into but before we get there, you know, for your love of surfing, that started somewhere. You, who grew up in Morocco, which is also really interesting because culturally, you don't think of Morocco and surfing and beach culture. It's, it's different there, right? And so it, it's always fascinated me as a culture, as a, a land of waves that are just incredible. So start there, if you would. Growing up in Morocco, finding surfing, and then how it all developed. Well, yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like in Morocco, you don't necessarily imagine there is a connection between Morocco and surfing, but we have a huge long coastline, over 3,000 kilometers. I don't know what's that in, in, uh, in your unit, but 3,000 kilometers of coastline with waves far in, and it's usually working when the northern hemisphere is um, it's like in winter, uh, coming to winter and finishing winter and during winter. <laughs> Uh, so it's quite rich in terms of waves. <laughs> uh, it started for me. It started for me when I was around fifteen, sixteen. Um, we we used to go to our summer house. We have a summer house in uh, close to Rabat, the capital of Morocco, 
Rabat city. It's in the northern side of Morocco. It has about 2 million inhabitants there. It's not too big. Like the biggest city is Casablanca. A lot of people know Casablanca. <coughs> they know Marrakesh. Uh, they know perhaps Agadir. But Rabat, like every time I ask somebody, um, do you know the capital of Morocco? Not many people know about it. Like with Sydney and Canberra, a lot of people think Sydney is the capital of Australia. Well, Canberra is the capital of Australia. So yes, I grew up there in Rabat, the capital of Morocco, and we have that summer house. We still have it until now, and we used to go there as as a family when I was a kid. So uh, my 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 most beautiful memories are from that part of uh, of the city. It's about twenty to thirty minutes car drive from the the city center, so not too far, and it's on the coastline, beachfront. So. Uh, we we used to hunt crabs and uh, fish and and so on and surfing happened little little bit later at 15 years old when I was about 15 years old. My cousin, uh, who was about 40 days older than me, we kind of grew up together. Brought I can't remember exactly how that did that happen, but like he had the surfboard of his father. It's an old school vintage, you know, the thick surfboards from the 70s. Yeah, uh, and his father had one of these, and and actually never saw him surfing. I don't think even I knew what surfing was before I see that surfboard. And he brought it one of those summers. I think it was also one of those summers where he didn't go to France because he's actually half French, half Moroccan. My cousin, so his aunt is the sister of my father, and his father is French. And that summer, they didn't go to France. They used to go every summer, but that one didn't go. And he had that surfboard. And we just put it in the water uh, in front of our house, and we push it in, in, uh, in white water. And in front of our house, it's not a, a beach <coughs> break where there is waves, usually. It's, it's actually more of a, um, how to say, there's like a, a big uh, reef or rocks that blocks the big sea from the small sea. We call it the big sea and the small sea over there. Yeah. So the big sea area where there's the swell and the big waves and the deeper, and the smaller area, it's for, let's say, kids when they play. But when there's the high tide, there's white water that comes up, and uh, sometimes there's a little bit of waves. And at that age, I thought it was big waves, actually. <laughs> they were quite uh, intimidating for us. So I pushed it there, and that was my first contact with surfing. That was the first mm-hmm. time I... I uh, faced such a thing and yeah. uh, it now, was quite exciting for me yeah oh yeah absolutely now you knew what surfing was you'd seen people surfing prior to that is that is that true not really like i can't i don't have like a strong memory for for for, for that really i don't know i didn't i wasn't exposed to it really i i might have seen some bodyboarders um in the beach that is next door to ours where actually there's beach break i might have seen some bodyboards but i didn't know like surfing where you stand up and everything and that that memory of that time was a little bit blurry if we didn't stand up that's for sure the surfboard was too short and too small for us but i kind of knew that it was supposed to stand on it so that was okay that was something called surfing and my cousin introduced me to it he didn't surf as well he was not like knowing how to surf or anything but he knew a little bit more than me because his father was a surfer a long time ago yeah uh, that's so so cool because I, I relate that to my life, which is opposite end of the spectrum, whereby I grew up in a surf culture, in a surf town with surf parents and at the beach surfing every day and surfers around me. It's it's so and you take that for granted, you know, and then here you were 
on this beautiful coast with waves everywhere, but surfing wasn't a thing until this board popped up and you're like, I think we stand on this. Okay, let's try it. <laughs> and that was it. Exactly. And the thing is in Morocco, at least back then and a little bit before that time, surfing wasn't the relationship with Moroccans in the ocean is not the same as you would have in Polynesia, for for example, or in California. The, Moroccans normally don't like being in the ocean. Let's say, and I'm talking here about the majority, I'm talking about also a big generalization, but they don't like the ocean. The ocean is a, that dangerous place uh, that brings chaos, maybe. Maybe that's linked to some time back in the history where there was some, maybe some tsunamis or some war or some pirates. I have no idea. But there, was, there is not a good connection with the ocean. It's not a place of peace or where it's more a place, place of fear. And my father was also always uh, telling me, watch out from the ocean. He had some accidents. He was fishing, actually, and he had some accidents um, uh, with, with waves broke on him, and he broke his legs, and a story like that, and the, the, the neighbors yeah. saved him. So I, I didn't grow up in a place where ocean was necessarily a safe place or a surf culture at all. That was not the case. Right, it right, yeah. Later on. Yeah, so... You're you're 15 years old. Your cousin exposed you to this board that was really too small for you guys, but you were hooked. Like you loved it. Something about that. So how'd you how'd you go from there and, and really start your surfing life after that? Yeah, we spent the whole summer actually uh, giving it a try. The whole summer here, I mean, at least two months of that summer, we were giving it a try and trying to surf with it and use it. And what happened later is that uh, I was in high school, so I was studying everything, and I wanted a surfboard for myself to learn. And I asked my father, if I graduate uh, with good scores, can you come out buy me a surfboard? Can you, can you, can you, uh, can I have one? And so on. And he was like, no, radical, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, a dangerous period, especially because also. Um, I think he he didn't want to say it, but I believe also he was afraid that I drone because I had an experience of almost droning when I was younger, uh, when I was about maybe seven or six. I can't remember exactly. He he was afraid that something happened to me. My mom mm-hmm. also, but my mom was more of a gentle, more gentle in in that. Like you're gonna watch out, right? If you have a surfboard, so he promised me a surfboard. Um, and uh, with a couple of boxes, I, I had no idea how much it costed in the first place, uh, to to be honest. I ended up graduating with the scores that I was supposed to have. So I was a, a good student, I'd say. And um, he got me, a, uh, I, he gave me the money I bu- uh, to buy it. So with that small amount of money, I think it was 60 bucks or 50 bu- bucks, something like that. So really not much to invest in a, in a proper starting surfboard, not a, not a big soft top nothing it was a yeah. small one broken with a lot of holes in it but it had nice color it attracted me because it had nice colors it was red oh, yeah. and yellow and orange and there was some nice colors in it and okay i got that one and it was a it was a guy from high school who was a bit uh, how to say how to be <laughs> correct there he, he make deals for, with people he helped people do things you know <laughs> the, the, yeah the, 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 that kid in the high school you know which one I guess all high schools have a little bit of that kid. And he yep. sold me that surfboard. He found me one and sold it to me. And that was it. I was uh, starting to be a surfer then. That was the beginning of it. Um, uh, that, that said, like, so we we didn't, I'm saying we, because it was me, my cousin. And also, now that I knew what surfing is, 
I get to meet other kids that also wanted to surf or like surfing or are surfing a little bit. So me and this group of uh, kids, I think we were three uh, three in total, yeah, and started with three, we used to take the bus to go to, to surf or we used to walk and skip school sometimes to go all the way surf in the in the in the near, nearest surf spot. That's and, cool. Yeah. That that there were there were really, really cool memories from that time. Uh, oh yeah. And so I'm guessing like you guys are on the bus, let's say, with your boards or you're walking through town and people, the locals are looking at you like, What are these guys doing? Because surfing it's not really known. Surfboards, maybe there's a bunch of people in town never even seen a surfboard, so they're just staring at you like you're from outer space or something. Uh, we were the rebels for sure. <laughs> we were big times rebels. So our surfboards were um, stacked at a friend's place who lived really close to the high school where we used to be. And if you want the full story? Because the full story is quite also interesting. It has nothing to do with surfing, but well, we had long hair and we were like the cool kids of, of the high school. And we were like three kids who have long hair in the whole uh, high school. The high school was a little bit of conservative, like you need to behave, you need to wear like uh, outfits for school, you know, those uh, school dresses and everything. And so we knew that the moment we step into the high school, to the, to the, to the room, we'll be kicked out. We'll be like, I, you didn't cut your hair yet? Okay, out. <laughs> so, so we were kind of, okay, the moment the door opens and we see the, the principal coming in, that means like we are living and we're going where? We're going to surf, we're going to the ocean, going to the beach. So we will walk, get the surfboards and keep on walking all the way down the city. So city central, very central and we will pass a cemetery. It was a, a graveyard, I mean, cemetery, yeah, graveyard, that's how we call it. And the graveyard it was beachfront, and so it had an amazing view on the ocean. Mm-hmm. And there, there were, there were some more surfers. There were some little older guys, uh, not, not many, yeah, not many. Uh, one of them was the local champ. He was quite young. He was like 12 years old or 11 years old. He was younger than us. We were 16, and this guy, he was apparently very promising at that time. He was about to get a Rip Curl sponsorship, like the first Moroccan to get Rip Curl uh, sponsorship. His name is Abdel. He's a good friend until now. He's a really good friend, close friend. He was ripping, and we were looking up a little bit to him, even if he was younger than us. And apparently there was also some other ones, but they were... Not we're not too exposed to them. We just heard about them. So this this guy and the other one, and there were very few, and that was the walk. But there was also when we wanted to go to a further destination, we would take the bus, and the bus will be a little longer, maybe forty five minutes to one hour because of all the stops and everything. Yeah, yeah. So you guys were just full on amping to go surf, and you you had the look, you had the lifestyle, and it was just it just. It was right for you. You know, you found it, and there was not. You knew a hundred percent that that was what you wanted to do, and so you keep you keep going, and you also then kind of broadened your search, right? Like you went exploring further, like throughout Morocco as well over time. Well, the first exploration I would say there for us was to to magazines before even being able to go outside of our area yeah. to explore Morocco magazines. Um, there was a French magazine, Surf Session, if I remember well, 
who who was available in Morocco, and we uh, we could see pictures and um, and uh, pictures and photos from surfing around the world. What's happening out there? And uh, see Polynesia, see Tahiti, California, Hawaii, uh, maybe Indonesia also. And we had posters in our room, uh, like all splashed, a whole wall with posters. These posters replaced basketball. I was playing basketball before, so they, they, they were, the post, basketball posters were gone, and then surfing yeah. was there. And um, I remember also there was some big day on Tahiti, and that magazine had a DVD in it showing that small video for free. They, they offered that, that, that DVD in that uh, magazine, and we could see this big pumping uh, Taupo uh, oh, wow. there with the music band bad religion oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> that 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 was that was great so yeah that that was the the beginning of exploration we only were able to actually explore further when we could when i get my driver license i was the first one to also have a car among my friends before that was maybe the the big sister or the big brother of my mm-hmm. friends who would drive us a little bit further but not like as going to explore the whole the, the country so i had my driver license i had also the car from, from my father and um, i was 18 <clears throat> we were studying but i was able also to 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 afford going uh, going further going deep yeah. down south in yeah, the country you guys were totally, yeah you're totally mobile so we're talking like mid 90s is that is that about right uh yeah 96 97 98 around that time yeah and yeah bad religion definitely oh shoot sorry um yeah i remember having i almost remember i wonder if i remember that video but yeah i remember bad religion there's all these other iconic bands that were like just always in the surf videos from that era um yeah that was kind of when i was just fully amping on it too probably you know maybe just touch older than you at that time but yeah so so then you continue to, to surf, you grow your love, you grow everything, just your water knowledge, skills, you have a crew, you're seeing more of, of Morocco, what it has to offer. Now, at some point, you, like, move on. You start your life as an adult. So, so take us from, like, your surf exploration to, like, you leave Morocco and you develop a career for yourself. And then you kind of come back full circle to Morocco around mm-hmm. as well. So take us through that, the next phase, if you will. Um, th- so that was, let's say, early 20s when, when uh, I started exploring the, the country. And I was also at the same time studying, like I was doing my bachelor and my master's. Um, during that time, it's like early 2000, I also met uh, a couple of friends who were into surfing a little more more than, let's say, how they were more experienced. You know, in Morocco, you have a lot of um, French who actually live in Morocco. Morocco was a French colony before, so we speak both languages. Well, they call it protectorat rather than colony. So um, there's a lot of French-speaking schools, administrations, and uh, companies and so on. So th- some French people would move to Morocco because of work, but also because of what the country has to offer. It's close to Europe. It has Western s- standards. And it's cheaper costs of living also, and you can live by the beach, and so they they would take they will take the opportunity there for them to be there. So these guys surfed the southwest of France a lot, and mm. then they came to Morocco, and they were super enthusiastic about surfing. So I get to hang out a lot with them, and they had also time 
they were maybe working just a like say part-time or a little bit over part-time so they had time to surf early on in the mornings and i get to hang out a lot with them and we would go surfing early mornings and also end the day uh at the surf sometimes when the days are longer like summertime and with them we went down south down south what i mean here is about six to seven hours drive south of the capital where the real surf is happening the, this big rides uh, point breaks mm-hmm. uh, they, we don't have really reef break but we have rocks bottom they are rocks or like maybe sometimes with urchins the spiky urchins but they're super high quality waves uh, anchor point is the most known one to the wider audience there's yeah. safi also becoming more known and everything so my 20s were were satelliting a little bit around surfing I get really hooked. I get really, really into it while actually having my professional uh, life at the same time. 2006 specifically, I could do surfing and working, and I'm going to explain what what happened there. That was the first time where I could do a little bit of surfing or being close to surfing and working. But I, I studied um, advertising, marketing. So nothing like what I'm doing right now. I studied that. And I thought that's the path I'm going to take. And I get a little bit disappointed about how the market was back then. You study in high standards, like the school is like high level, but then they teach us how to be creative and how to put creative messages out there for products that we're going to advertise about. But the market was a little bit behind, meaning like when you go to the company and work, you don't get to use all the skills and the qualities that you've been taught at school. So I was right. a little bit disappointed. I was looking for something different. Then then a friend came in and told me, Dries, hey, I'm starting this company. We're going to do um, uh, extreme sports filming in Morocco and show the world that Morocco has more, or not only the work, the world, also Morocco, show Moroccans that there's more than two sports or three sports, which is usually soccer, golf, and tennis. There's more there. And we were both surfers. He was a surfer, this guy also. And it was like, we're going to be able to travel to surf destinations. We will not only going to be exclusively filming surfing or bodyboarding or whatever water sport, but there was a lot of it to, to explore and to cover. And that's actually 2006, just after graduating from, from the university, uh, or you call it college, I guess, also in the U.S., and uh, we were every week somewhere with our equipment, cameras, computers, filming, editing, interviewing locals, where you can surf, what's how the surf break breaks actually, and uh, where you can stay, where you can eat, the, all these questions. And of course, right after we finish our day, we are in the water also surfing. Oh, heck and yeah. That was <laughs> epic. And we did that for about two years, like that, going all over. We also had to follow the Moroccan um, champs, like one of them, this Abdel that I mentioned earlier, in France to to cover some of his competitions because he was competing with Q- in the QS. So that was about two years, 2006, 2008. That was before I leave Morocco. So we were in Morocco and I was surfing and uh, working in the around surfing it was close yeah very close yeah so a quick question on this because i'm imagining you traveling around to probably all or most of the prime spots of morocco you mentioned anchor point and and others that are like in magazines on 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 the internet and when you see these waves you just like you can't believe these are like endless lines of just barreling 
just reeling waves. And so you got to surf some really, really, <laughs> really good waves, basically. Yeah, because we had to time them also. We we were timing them when the swell is there because we, of course, need the best footage. So I get also to surf these best waves. When oh, What was your favorite of all those all those spots? And probably there's some that have no names that I've ever heard of, but like, <laughs> do you have one wave that was your absolute favorite? Well, there is this wave called Safi, actually. It's a wave that works only when the swell is huge. It's like the equivalent of Mavericks, I guess, for you, for, for yeah. California. It only works when there's big swell. It's not as big as Mavericks, but it only works when there is big swell that is in that scale. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, three barrels in it, and a oh. very long one point break. So you start on, on a point and end up all the way to in the beach, um, rock bottom, uh, quite consistent one. It works maybe January, February, maximum March, I'd say, because that's where the peak of the winter is in that northern hemisphere. Safi yeah. is one of the best ones. But also, there's a lot. There's also all the way completely south in the west, close to the western Sahara. <clears throat> there is uh, there's some other spots there that, like you said, the names are maybe even too difficult to to pronounce sometimes. But beautiful, beautiful ones with turquoise water with the. In fisherman villages where there is no roads, you just have to have your SUV uh, off-road kind of uh, car and go find them. Unreal. That sounds so cool. Okay, sorry. Now, um, yeah, we can talk about these waves all day long. So now back to your story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so my story then, yeah, that, that that was my 20s, right? Like uh, until until the age of 28, 29. So that was more or less what we were doing, surfing, working, uh, camping. Uh, you know, the weekends, we were not asking too many questions. We were not like, what's going to happen this weekend? What were we up to? No, we, we knew that at the end of Friday afternoon, whether we finished a little bit earlier work or not, we're going to hit the road. Our cars were all fully equipped. We're going to be six, seven hours driving down south to the, to the um, let's say, to the southern areas, territory of Morocco, where there is this epic surfing. We're going to camp there. And we're going to surf the weekend and back. Camping was, still is in some places, still free. Like, you don't, it's not super regulated. Of course, now uh, people like uh, police and stuff, they come and tell you, yeah, take your stuff and go away. But there's a lot of places still still available. Uh, that was it until the age of 28, 29, where I think priorities for me started shifting a little bit. As in, I had a desire and a need to see more somehow I, I i knew morocco quite well from all these travels and all this exploration uh, not only the ocean side but also the inside the mountains we have beautiful mountains actually yeah. we were sometimes going to s- snowboard in the morning and then uh hit the road and be surfing in the sunset it's a little bit like wow. california also in wow that. that's epic you could do that like if you start driving really early and uh three hours snowboarding and then come back so I wanted to see something different. Uh, I also wanted to stop working the work I was doing. It was not any more fulfilling. I was an art director um, promoting products of companies. I was working in this uh, 9 to 5 kind of jobs, or actually you would call it more of an 8 to 11 p.m. kind of job. Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes weekends, it was hectic, it wasn't aligned with that, it was not my thing really at the end, I was doing it because it offered me the lifestyle, the money, I was ticking the boxes like many young adults would like to think or think that's the best thing that they have to do, and I want to see something different, so I decided to take a sabbatical backpack and go travel and see the world, and uh, 
that was like the beginning of a new other journey. I went through through Europe, I traveled about six months in total. I did all EU countries uh, that are in under Schengen visa, which is like a type of visa that allow you to travel in those places. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I did the U.S. Actually, I did um, uh, New York to Cali, uh, crossing the country, backpacking. Yeah. And I also did Southeast Asia. And it was a, quite a, an eye-opening experience. I knew France, I knew Spain, I knew Holland, because they are close to Morocco. And I would fly quickly back and forth sometimes in the weekend, in the off-season when the surf was not happening. So I wanted to see something different. And that whole journey took me to Sweden. There, there were where a lot of people think uh, you, you went to Sweden for girls. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, not really. It's not a girl that took me to Sweden. It's my stubbornness and maybe a little bit of a naive thinking that. So the thing is, I, I didn't want to work as an art director anymore, but I needed to choose something different and find something different for my life, like uh, like work, like occupation, and. Going to through Sweden, I saw and I understood that they have different standards in the field I was in, work-wise. As an art director, they have different standards. They, they allow creativity. They respect working hours. There's the flat hierarchy system, not a vertical mm-hmm. one, uh, classic traditional vertical one. So I was attracted to these uh, standards, and. I decided I'm going to get a job there and stay. And I I was naive enough to think that's going to be quite easy and uh, that I would just knock some doors and then they would give me a job. It it was hard, uh, not the hardest, I would say not extreme hard. I I showed showed goodwill and I pushed through and then I got the job and I stayed. And I thought, okay, that's going to be an experience. Surfing going to be replaced by snowboarding. Yeah. And that was it. (laughs) Snowboarding was not easy at all. I thought it was going to be just like surfing. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> it's true. You are standing up and riding sideways, but it is like a different, very different sport. <laughs> yeah, and in Morocco, we the steepness was not as steep as the one I have I saw in in Sweden or these oh, Nordic yeah. places, yeah. and the type of snow was a bit different also. So, so I I I, I end up being and living and working in Sweden for a couple of years and missing surfing a lot, only surfing. Missing my whole lifestyle. Yeah. Only surfing maybe twice a year, maximum three times a year, and minimum of one time per year. I went to Indo. I flew to Morocco also one time, like during the season. And Indo, yeah, it was that was it. Like Morocco was December, usually December, January, during the season. And Indonesia was in the summer, like the big swell in summer, July. Yeah, and I was doing the art director, I think, and uh, f- after a couple of years, again, I was, yeah, now I did it, so now what? Yeah, I wasn't clear about the next step again, and about, uh, that was that hit me around two, three years of being there. I stayed there overall about six years. When we come back, Driss dives into his philosophy of using flow from surfing and the ocean into enhancing the performance of others and more. Stay with us.
Yeah, let me let me throw a couple bits into here. So it's interesting because you look at we become so attached to like surfing, let's say, and yeah. you think it's because you're riding something, you're you're moving. It's the adrenaline. It's it's that the flow, not in terms of like the sense of flow in your brain. I'm talking flow of just like you're riding your surfboard down a wave. There's wind in your hair, and you go snowboard. You're like, oh, it's very similar. There's a lot of parallels, <clears throat> and you think you're like, well, geez, I could snowboard and get that same level of flow level of passion fulfillment from snowboarding as i do surfing which you know yes and no but the no part of that is well but you're not in the ocean you know what i'm saying you're yes you're riding something and yes you feel the wind in your hair and you can fall and get beat and it could be hectic it could be fun and whatever you want but you're also not in the ocean you're not feeling that ocean on your body you know that's an element that I kind of get caught up where you can, uh, I'm just like, I, I had a whole thing of like dirt bike riding for a while and the motocross and skateboarding. And those are all fun adrenaline things, but it's not, it doesn't replace just being in the ocean. Absolutely not. Yeah. It doesn't replace the, like being in the ocean. It's a whole different thing. These are, there are books about that and why the ocean give us that experience that is specific and different. Blue mind. You probably heard about the book. Uh, it's uh, yes. Yeah. I read it. It's great. Yeah. It's a great one. Uh, it tells how and why the ocean brings you also to that flow state in a different way. I, well, you know, I believe other athletes or other people have the flow state through snowboarding. But, like, uh, there's this element of... You heard about the flow state chart? No, yeah. I'm no. not. Well, well, flow state chart, like, imagine, like, for, for people who are listening, imagine you have <clears throat> a horizontal line and you have a vertical one. In the horizontal one, you have the skill level. On the left side of that horizontal line, you have low skill level and then high skill level on the other side, on the yeah. extreme, uh, the right. And then on the vertical one, you have challenge level and you have a low in the bottom and high challenge level on the top. With surfing or with any activity, if you can match uh, and have a sweet spot between your skill level and the challenge level, you are then in flow. Mm-hmm. If your skill level is low, let's say you're a beginner surfer and challenge level is high, you surf, you're faced with three meters waves high, then you fall into worry or anxiety. If your surf level is very high, like skill level is high, and you are in small waves that are a bit mushy and boring, you get into boredom or relaxation. <clears throat> and the sweet spot is this high skill or let's say whatever skill level that is high and challenge level that is high then you have the flow and with me and snowboarding i was rather in the anxiety and worry that i'm gonna hurt myself because my skill <laughs> level was very in the low side and the, the bottom end of and the challenge level seemed at least at that time quite high so i was not into flow at all and no, not even close to being in that while yeah. with surfing is instant you go in the water <clears throat> And you go into that zone, like also that's what they call it, the zone. And that's a unique experience. And wishing a lot of people could, could experience such a thing because it's so good. And there's studies on about it, like uh, how, how it is beneficial to our mind and body. And uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and I know you're getting there next. So I'm not going to like, um, I'm not going to spoil it, but that's kind of sense of flow, being in the ocean, surfing. You then, I think, the next step of kind of your story is you found a profession where you could incorporate that into helping others. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so what happened, fast forward then, so I was in Sweden and I was not happy about everything. Actually, it was a kind of a depression more than not happy about what I'm doing, missing the surfing, missing family, missing uh, the, the, the ocean, everything of that. I, 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 I had to do a career change. Actually, first, before doing the career change, I, had, I went back to Morocco for a couple of months to resource resourcefulness resource mm. as in being there being barefoot whenever i wanted to be in barefoot being in my ocean in the sand in yeah. being in contact with the elements and that recharged me get me gave me clarity i was again surfing i was more clear in my head of what is it that i needed to do and i needed to get out from sweden i needed to change career also this time for good because i thought i'm gonna already change it when i backpacked around the world and I was, okay, now I'm going to do something different. I started <clears throat> to look for what that is. In the meantime, I took some coaching uh, training uh, and uh, become, became a coach. I learned about psychology and how it works. The company I used to work for helped me do this training because they wanted me also to be the guy that is doing learning developments. Uh, in, in, within the company, learning development is the term you give to what I'm doing in corporate setups. And they saw in me, because I was so much in that topic, they saw in me a reason for why following such a thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I did that. In the same time, also, I started a startup that has uh, actually to do with surfing. I don't know if I mentioned that to you somewhere before this call, but it's called the Surfing Yoga. And that was a place, a marketplace, where it's like Airbnb for people who would like to find people to show them where to surf or take them to surf or take them to do yoga so it's a place where they would find people like myself and yourself who have time and who are keen to take other people to to surf so that was i started it and then i, I sold it a couple of years later but in the same time i was doing the coaching and the coaching um it seemed like that I was really good at it because it picked up quickly and i had positive feedback for a lot of clients and what I was doing in it is actually helping also people figure out their way but also get into somehow performance and doing the right thing the, the thing that they like doing in the best way possible and sustainable way possible so uh, I, my mission would be to empower people who are in the path of growth and the people who are ambitious, the people who are, want to pursue something more meaningful, because I was also into doing something meaningful finally out of my life. I wanted to support other people somehow. So I started doing the coaching and that was also in flow because I was good at it and uh, I had I had the passion out of it. And surfing didn't was, wasn't a part of it from the start. So it didn't become a part of surfing in the beginning surfing has been a little bit of a little bit of the branding actually a lot of people thought i'm a surf coach sometimes mm. uh, through yeah. my social media they told me oh you what are you what, you surfing you teaching surfing right Tristan? no i'm not a surf coach <laughs> i'm just passionate about that topic it's way later on that actually surfing became a part of the coaching actually a blend of both where surfing is a way to teach skills like growth mindset, like um, like resilience, like uh, f being in flow and bringing this po to bring that positive change to people who would like actually to have that positive change in their life, like I did. So it's passing through, I'm like a messenger passing through what helped me to become who I am, but also teaching them the skills on how to do it through surfing. So, uh, and that's 
using the mind surf experiences that's what i call it like it's the mind surf experience that's the channel where i teach these skills yeah gotcha so you have as a coach and, and i know we'll talk more about mind surf experience which is more hands-on mm-hmm. around the water and having getting getting your your clients um into the water to, to basically feel this hands-on but then you have folks too i'm guessing who are remote so how i guess the question is do you how can you how do you help the folks who let's say you're you're, you're coaching them remotely you know mm-hmm. and they don't understand that the ocean or or surfing but that sense of flow is universal people may call it different things you know mm-hmm. and, and see it in different ways but that sounds like that's kind of your angle or your your folk your core focus is helping anybody whether you mm-hmm. live in the middle of america or on the beach somewhere or who knows where to really kind of help find that state so how what for the folks who you don't be, are you not next to and around the ocean with, like how do you help them kind of establish that? You, you know, I don't push through surfing or analogies or examples through surfing from the start. Like in the beginning, mm-hmm. it's more about building rapport, trying to understand where they come from, what's their sense of the world, how they view it, if the sense of flow is what actually they need and everything. And after having built the rapport with them, having built that trust, then somehow I allow myself to speak about surfing as the analogy of, of things and give yeah. examples through how surfing helped me personally go through a uh, challenging moment, but also gave me the visibility on how to be in that flow, flow state. So then I will give them examples on how it worked in theory and in story, but in example and in, pra- in practical, I'll have them to do some exercises. I'll have them to... Uh, write down for example and describe what that flow state means to them or what is it that they want to accomplish what values or what belief system they have that is holding them back or it cannot possibly empower them to go into that flow state so we'll have them to describe it and share it with me whether in person when we're talking or as a homework and then come back later on to discuss that and then from there we make some plans we broke those break those plans into small milestones and then we have an execution period where i do a lot of accountability with them until they get to where, to where they want to be and there's always come in here and their examples of surfing and how it's influenced me or how it could be like I, I like to draw this parallels because it's the easiest parallels that come to me other people will bring different analogies from as, uh, different aspects of life and then, but i oftentimes like to bring the analogies from surfing examples of surfing so it is yeah. the deliverable uh, remote as well but in person it's a whole different story because you get people to practice also and to yeah. feel things yeah, yeah. in person no, I love that. How it is. so yeah. so let me ask you then um how do you describe the flow state, like from your own perspective, your own life? A flow state, I would say it's, a, it's a, an emotional, mental state where you are so into what you're doing that everything around you is kind of turned off completely. Now, it's not, not necessarily existing, not happening. It's a deep focus, deep concentration into doing something with the most important element in it, passion and love. You love it. You're not doing it being forced to. You are not doing it to finish something and to have an end. It's not linked to a result. 
it's actually the thing you do that is the result. The thing you do that is the thing you love, the thing that you are into, whether it's you name it, you call it answering emails, whatever it drives you, that's the, 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 that's the most important thing. There's no end result that is looked for or expected at the end. I get that, get into that state from surfing, but I also were able to transfer to other areas in my life, professional areas in my life, where I'm also into the flow state, doing what I need to be doing and enjoying it very much. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's so challenging at times to be able to apply that state of flow to your your mundane everyday life you know and sometimes it's just impossible if, if things are chaotic etc but there's times when you're like let's say at work and you can it's it's kind of up to us and i think this is part of your training is to help help us sort of flip on that flow switch as best you can it's one thing when you're riding a wave like the minute you see that wave coming to you you know it's yours like that flow switch is automatically on right yeah, from that course, moment exactly yeah so it's like i and I, this is something i work on with myself which is okay the flow state doesn't switch on automatically when my boss asks me to do something new you know and, and there's times when i like i write for work a little bit in marketing and so i kind of like that but sometimes <laughs> it doesn't just flip on you know so it's like how do you flip it on because if you can get good at flipping it on or kind of on you know you, you're just happier you're i think more productive you're more creative mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and so is that part of, of kind of your teaching to folks is kind of how, how to help them flip that switch on when yeah. they can? Yeah, well, that, that one, it's a quite, um, how to say, a, if you, you want a practical version, I can, I can also, of course, share the practical version. It's a few steps before getting to switching the, the, the switch, actually going to that flow state one. The main thing about flipping that switch is to, I'm hesitant about using the word tricking your mind because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily tricking at the end when you're actually enjoying or getting productive or doing the thing you need to be doing. But let's use it for the sake, for example, or for no better words at the moment. One thing I would do with these clients, I would, I would have to set an anchor for them to be in flow state. Anchors. What is an anchor? Double clicking on this one quickly. When you listen to a song that you were listening to in, when you were 16 years old, 15 years old, it fires up some memories and emotions to where firing up, like is simply said, is bringing memories from that time. So music yeah. is the anchor to uh, an emotion or a feeling you had back then or a memory. So I will help them in the present now to create an anchor that will fire the flow state for them to good to do the things that they need to be doing right now. And how we will do that? We will do that before the problem arrives or the tasks arrive or the mission arrives. I'll get them to sit and think about the moment back in the days, back in the past, recent or old one, where they have felt a sort of flow. After having understood, of course, what the flow is and so on, most of people have had some sort of experience that is close to the flow state. And I get a guy who's talking to me about when he's driving his scooter or driving a car. He's all like completely in the in zone when he's doing that. It's like, okay, let's use that. That's the flow state, perhaps. So I'll get them to 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 make that memory as vivid as possible, 
and to have a circle in the floor, this is called circle of excellence, a circle in the floor where they are, it, that is standing in front of them, they are not actually inside that circle, they are behind it, and it's an imaginary circle that has, they, they put in it whatever they want, they can call it a blue circle, they can call it a green circle, whatever they want, and I will tell them, close your eyes and bring that memory to the maximum of vivid possible, of vividity as possible, and uh, connect with all the senses. It's important to connect with the senses, with the sound and the music that I gave an example earlier about the listening to something from the past. You have one sense, which is auditory, which is strong, but if you bring in other senses like visual sense, auditory, kinesthetic sense, you strengthen that memory even more. Mm -hmm. So then think about how you felt in your body, how you felt, how, what did you hear and what did you see in front of you when you were living that moment. And the moment you feel that you are at the peak of that memory, I want you to step into that circle and change how that circle is, whatever that means. If the, there's more, there's a sound coming from that imaginary circle, there is maybe colors that are changing, you do whatever you want to do with your imagination. Mm -hmm. So that's when they bring into the circle of excellence, the, the, the virtual invisible circle of excellence, an element that they need, which is that flow state. Yeah. Now they have a, a, a associated the circle with the flow state. So now we're going to use it in the future. How are we going to use it in the future? Mm -hmm. When they have to be facing a, a task, a, a goal, something that they have to do that has to, that where they want to bring in um, flow or be in flow and do it with joy. I'll tell them, okay, step, imagine yourself stepping into that circle and fire back that memory. And normally the memory will also lead and drive the action, which is doing what you need to be doing. And that's actually what I do with the surfing myself. Uh, like you described, like you, you know how surfing flow feels like, and it's about bringing it to the action you have to do right now. The key thing in there is to bring in also the joy. So I said how to anchor... Uh, uh, the flow itself, but we need to bring also joy to it, which is that the part that I use tricky in it, the tricky yeah. in the mind, not right. an easy one. Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is also from California, speaks about it a lot when he had to do his essays and school stuff. He needed to, to believe, make himself believe also that is something that he would enjoy. I had to learn that for myself also in public speaking. I was freaking out when I was in front of people. I had to make myself believe that I also enjoy it. That's something I love doing and connect it also with flow state. And then I'm in the zone and the channel and I'm doing my public speaking without a problem anymore. Yeah, It awesome. requires training. It's practice also. It's not something that fires up from the first click. Like with yeah. surfing. You didn't learn to surf from one, day one, but it came after some time. Yeah, yeah, you have to develop that muscle in your in your in your mind and your memory to be able to do that, and that just takes time, just like anything. And and you've you've just you've applied this to a, a wide variety of, of professionals, everything from you know business people to you know, you've had the world world champion jujitsu athletes, you've had the Chinese Olympic surfing team, and, and many others. And so, do you see? Here's the question: Then is do you see a difference in in the ability for somebody to adopt this um, training, this routine, um, based on they are, like I say, a, a, an athlete. They're in, a jiu-jitsu athlete, a, a surfer, or a business person. Like, I, I guess you could say I'm thinking that like, if you're an athlete and you're used to being in that flow state when you're rolling on the ground grappling or you're surfing, you can, you can so you, you get it easier. But is that true versus like a business person who wears a suit and tie every day? Well, the role doesn't matter that much, to be honest. 
the role of those people, whether they're athletes, business people, so their role is not the key thing that makes them, let's say, engage into or be successful into being in flow state. Mm-hmm. It's their level of engagement and dedication and belief in that topic. It, you get yeah. people who want just to tell them what to do and switch things for them. and They might not have the same results. Actually, they don't have the same results, but you get people who are like, what is it that I need to do? I'm here to learn. Show me how, and I'm going to dedicate myself to doing it. And if it doesn't work, I'll have grit, and I'm resilient. I'm going to keep on trying until I get it there. And that, that person that you mentioned, Alani, who became the world champion in jiu-jitsu, amazing girl, started working with her when she was 14, 15. She is now 19, became the world champion the moment she stepped into the U.S., and she's studying there, actually, um, uh, environmental science. She was keen to uh, practice everything. Doesn't mean like it was easy at all. She was 5 a.m. waking up, doing her routines in the morning, going to school, doing her grappling, then going back to school, then again hitting mm-hmm. a gym, teaching kids, everything. But she was high in execution and completely engaged on that. And when she, she was facing challenges, when it was painful, when it was hard, she would say it also. She was open about it. She's not like, no, I got it, I'm tough. No. I have pain, I'm suffering, everything. So the common thing between all these people, including also the business people who, who have been successfully um, reaching that level of, of flow state, are the people who engage into it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I absolutely get it. Now, so let's flip over to your MindSurf experiences, which looks really cool. And so basically, like this is taking, and I'm going to read through it, and you, you tell me, but like you, you basically it's real time. It's on site in Morocco where you get eight people, you have eight spots available. And it's basically, you know, a, a combination of, you know, interactive teaching live together, uh, as well as you apply, you get people in the, in the ocean as well to surf. And so it sounds really cool. So you have the website. So, so talk about that, how you develop that. And you have them coming up here, I believe in November of this year. Yeah. So the first one now that this year is going to happen in in Morocco. I'm also trying to work on the one having it in Bali already in August. So before the one in Morocco, but I haven't confirmed it yet. But so the the mind surf experiences is the name I gave to this. How to call them? I I don't like calling them retreats because retreats is more something where you're laid back and relaxed and sipping maybe in coconuts and so on. But for the sake, for example, let's use the 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 word retreat. So the mind surf experiences are like surf retreats, where we use surfing as a way to teach skills like growth mindset, confidence, positive outlook in life, resilience. You name it. The skills actually that are needed for people to to, it's a combination of skills where, that are needed for people to make that change and sustainable change into their life. And whether they are moving, let's say, from a corporate job to something, uh, let's say, a startup job that is more fulfilling, or they are moving to change, to start their own companies, or whatever it, that change is, that is moving from one point, point A, to point B. A is more hard, painful, not liking it, whatever. B is more, I like what I'm doing. I'm happy with, with this choice and so on. So I help, I teach them to do that. Uh, and it's surf-based power skill learning. I call it like power school. It's the new buzzword instead of soft skill mm-hmm. and community support. So there are a lot of surf-based mental health uh, organizations out there to help 
people from PTSD to uh, disabilities to feel better. Yeah. <clears throat> this is not the same thing at all. It's not about how to feel better. It's not just a mental health thing. It's a very much structured six days where you have missions. Each mission, it's surf-based. So you get a surf instructor going to tell you, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do one surf and do this and this and that. And upon, upon completion of that mission, you have learned a, a skill. And when you come back and we do the lecture, we do the reflection time, we dive into that learning and that topic that we have learned during that, that time. As an outcome of the six days, you are clear of what's the next thing you're going to be doing. You know how to get into flow state. You know uh, what's the plan and what's the steps to, to move forward and make bring that positive change to your life. And you are also invited to have a one-year um, community support or whatever you call it. We call it actually mastermind classes where we meet with me and other experts monthly to help you on the execution of that plan that you have came up with during that uh, six days trip into a surf destination. Surf destination here to be a little bit specific. We're launching in this side of the world now, Morocco, <clears throat> but there's also uh, Bali, as I said, Asia. And we're planning to do Costa Rica, Sri Lanka, Mexico, all the areas where they're surfing. So the wow. first year we have two, the next year we want to have four, the year after we have eight, so uh, two per quarter, and the year after perhaps even more with the franchising model, opening it for other people, other practitioners that that is not me who was delivering it, but other people who are trained to deliver it themselves. Wow. That sounds amazing, Driss. I mean, like, I, I think it's amazing. Like, first, your story is so cool. From t start, it's not finished yet, but start to where you're out here. But then to develop these on-site classes in these areas, I mean, I could see how you find a professional who's looking for this training to just make a change in their life by, you know, altering their mindset in a positive way with somebody like you who knows. But then you do that, Um in an area and I'm looking at the website now where you're surfing, it's beautiful. It's warm out with that sense of community around them. So while they're there for a week with you and others, that's great. <clears throat> but when they're done, they can still interact with the community. Cause that's one thing I noticed is like when I, you, know, you can read and you can learn and you do all that stuff, but when you can exercise your thoughts and just bounce ideas or hear from other people who are going through the same thing with you, that sense of community it's so powerful, you know, to hear the perspectives and you get, you get fired up, you get excited for what other people are succeeding with and vice versa, you know? So I just love the whole, their whole, your whole framework. And then kudos to you for, for taking this and scaling it globally. Um, it just sounds like such a cool life, like lifestyle you've developed for yourself, but also through helping others. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Josh. This is indeed like very exciting and very fulfilling, rewarding emotionally. I'm not talking necessarily here about financially rewarding, but rewarding emotionally when you see the change happening, when you see the smiles, when you see the aha moments. And yes, there is community support and peer learning. I don't want to be the only teacher. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just the messenger. That's that's how I like to call myself. People call it too humble or something. But like I'm the messenger. I'm I'm the link between what I have learned, what I I'm passing out things that I learned from I don't know books, from working with people, from my training, 
and I'm putting that framework together as my vision is how to plug it all together. Experience uh, the, the the type of learning that works and stick the most in my in my um, in my uh, views are not the one where you have PowerPoint slides and you are in a classroom and you're learning things from. Yeah. you learn things by doing them, and that's why people maybe do internships, perhaps to glue whatever they have learned or learn even more when they are at the jobs. Here you have a surfboard. You're freaking out maybe when you want to go in the water. You think, oh, what if I, this happened, this happened. But when you push through, when you actually <clears> go <throat> in the water and give it a try, a proper try, you are, you are assisted also, of course, you're not on your own and the waves are not uh, super high or something dangerous for you. There's a lot of safety there. Then you realize, well, I can do it. And that's the one, the first one I want people to say, I can do it. And I have people around me who are also the same as me. Maybe they're freaking out also, but they're also here. They're willing to learn and I want to learn from them. Everyone get to talk about their own experience, where they come from. And there is there that sense of community and that sense of support. And me being the link between everyone, bringing my expertise, my passion, my purpose into linking them all together. Yes, and the goal is to to go uh, as uh, big as wide as possible. So that's the that's the vision. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. So, and I'll put in the show notes links to Mindsurf experiences and your coaching. Uh, you also have a podcast where people can just hear more. Is that right? I do have a podcast. I have been a bit lame and lazy about recording. It's been a while since I recorded one. But yeah, I have um, in my oh. website coachdris.com. If you go on there. Uh, blog or resources you have i have categorized those um, podcasts in terms of specific uh, topics and you can listen they are rich they are people that was the time when i was living actually in indonesia and in bali i had to meet i get to meet a lot of people from all over the world very interesting ones so there's a lot of peer learning there also if you if you're interested to hear other people's stories and where they come from and what enabled them because it's all about enablement we don't want to be just sitting, laying back, not doing anything. It's about being enabled to be able to give back somehow. I'm giving back because I have been enabled myself. I'm doing my best to support other people. And it doesn't have to be only in a channel of coaching. If you are to creating a product or it can be also a nine to five where you're contributing and you are in a company that is maybe changing things in your community or in your world or in our world. That's nice. So it's about enable them. If you are sitting somewhere and you're not happy doing what you're doing, you're not a tree. Move on. <laughs> move on. Learn what learn what it takes to to change things. Start with changing whatever is holding you back, and then contribute, support others also in your way. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting. You hear a lot, and you see the word grateful passed around, and there. Sometimes it's almost like a cliche term, but I think when you actually do feel that sense of gratitude, I think that's what I got from you is you felt so grateful for just like your life that, and you found what you, you love and you wanted to give back. And that's what's so interesting. Like I get that, that when you feel that sense of gratitude for your life, for everything, the first thing you want to do is just do, a, do for others. You know, whether it's your family just making them breakfast because <laughs> it's a nice thing to do or like doing something what you're doing is – is sharing yourself with the world and helping to enable others to also just be better and feel better and have better lives, you know? Um, so I, I think I admire you for what you're doing in a big way. I can, I think also you relate because that's what you do when, when you're recording people 
that have this same joint passion about the ocean and yeah. you're looking for ways also to inspire motivate teach maybe even with uh, the the guests that you're having in your podcast that's also your channel your way of doing it right yeah that's it that's very true very very true mm -hmm. so Driss, while we get close to wrapping up here i want to pull back a little bit and just you have a son also he just turned five yesterday so congrats to him now what, where are you at with that? Because I know I can get the sense from you that, you know, you're, you're helping him learn how to swim. And I'm guessing that it's very important for you to have, for him to have a connection with the water uh, for all this stuff, not because you want him to be a ripping surfer at all, but because you want him to feel what we feel <laughs> when we're in the ocean and the water and be safe doing it. So, so what's your philosophy, you know, now that you have this five-year-old <laughs> getting him into all of this? Well, well, the first thing is a bit selfish, right? The first thing is that I want to share this because it's with him because it makes me feel happy <laughs> to share yeah. something that I that I that I love with this little person, this, my little boy. Uh, I like also sharing it with other people who are, let's say, older adults and so on. But like with him, I wanna, I I would like us to be able to surf together. I will never push something into him if he doesn't want it, of course, but mm -hmm. I would do my best <laughs> to influence him as much as possible. And I do believe when we are closer to the ocean, we are better. Again, the book Blue Mind speaks about it. There's also another book called Nature Fix, but this is more about nature in general. But Blue Mind tells us why we are better by, by the sea, by water, close to water. So yeah, I want the best for my kid. I want him to be close to the water for sure. I put him on a surfboard the first time last summer. So that was... Actually, he was born in Bali, but he doesn't remember. In Bali, Indonesia. He was on a surfboard that was on top of a grass. So not on the water when he was still a baby. And I have pictures of that. And the real, the first time I put him on a surfboard was last summer. Um, that was actually June, July 2022. Uh, I put a vest on him and uh, um, floaties... And I went on a longboard and paddled with him and I stood up. I, I actually saw a video of that on the internet before. And I, I, didn't, I didn't think I would even do that that early with him. I thought maybe that can happen way later in life. Yeah. But it happened and he was stoked. He was happy and I was even more stoked. And he was like, Papa, Papa, more waves come in. <laughs> so he learned to surf or stand up or know what a wave is before knowing how to swim. Swimming just happened last week, actually. We spent six days uh, for an intensive swim course. So I know he can go under the water also a little bit and swim on his own, which is good for safety. So my, my, my say, vision for us, me and him, is to be able to do that uh, on, in the future, to be able to travel as a son and a father, uh, explore, show him. We're in Germany right now, now in Morocco, so I would like to show him the country I would like to show him the surf spot I liked and I would like him also to show me at some point other places that he's going to be exploring in the future um, I hope he will get hooked also at some point so we'll see I have friends who actually have kids who didn't get hooked into surfing at all but I uh, so far it's going well for me and yeah. the other friends have kids who are by the sea by the ocean and they are afraid from waves those are some friends that i met last summer and they told me how come he liking it so much and he he was not so exposed to it told him, well uh, made him like it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i i 
I agree with the approach, and it's one that I did with my kids for, who are in their teens now, much older, but it was just expose them. Like you can't force somebody to be comfortable in the ocean. That's what it boils down to. It's not like they might love riding waves and love that, that feel, but if they're not comfortable in the ocean, then they're never going to love surfing. And so it's allowing them to develop their own comfort um, and courage and, you know, all that in the ocean the wave part and surfing comes next, you know, but, um, and I've noticed that you can't force that. So you just, you know, enable them, give them a boogie board, take them to the beach. They want to go in and you bring them in, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And then for us parents, preservation, we need to preserve ourselves to live healthy, Mm -hmm. um, as long as possible to be able to enjoy this as long as possible also with them in the future, right? Not get diseases, not get injuries, not get anything. I'm I'm also dialed up a lot into this topic, but that's I guess another conversation where I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much into everything mental health, physical health, performance. So I stay fit, so I can enjoy more things with him in the future. Yeah, well, I'm with you 100. percent Absolutely. Well, Driss, this has been really great, and I, I really love your perspective on everything we talked about, life in general, surfing, helping others, your son. So I appreciate you taking time um, to, to share with us today. And I'm going to look at how I get to one of your retreats because <laughs> I want to get there to meet you in person and share some waves and to also just benefit from your teaching and training. <laughs> Absolutely. With pleasure. Well, well, you know, this is an open invitation uh, if, uh, in a, to contribute as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the whole concept with this mind surf experiences is to bring in knowledge and help other people enable them so if you come in not going to be just a participant i can tell you already from now you're going to be maybe a lecturer a person who's going to speak about something even if for half an hour one an hour one hour to share what you have learned throughout your experience towards all these people that i have been speaking to your connection with the ocean the the why of your podcast and that's an inspiration for people that's a perspective that is adding a value to someone at least mm-hmm. oh man that's awesome i would be absolutely honored to do that so we'll, i'm going to stay in touch with you on um, this for sure <laughs> my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me to to, to share my story and uh, to get in touch also with your audience i appreciate that a lot and uh, thank you Yes. Absolutely, Jess. Thank you so much. We'll put a bunch of links in the notes for everybody to, 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 to go where they can find more about you and on our training. And I wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.